0: Welcome, this is EIG, Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN.
1: Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, where we highlight people and organizations who are doing great things by helping others and making a big impact in our community. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach at Ellenbecker Investment Group. For a number of us living in Milwaukee and the surrounding suburbs, life is good. It may even be great, a great place to live, great place to raise a family. Many people I talk to describe their lives, for the most part, as happy and satisfying. They say that they are content, they say they are fulfilled, they feel like they're living their lives productively and successfully. But for some people, they can't say or don't feel the same. In 2014, Milwaukee was listed as the fifth poorest city in the United States with just under 30% living in poverty. And as of 2019, Milwaukee was listed as the sixth most dangerous big city in America with a crime rate of 70% higher than the national average. Now, I want to make sure that I mention that, uh, you know, when I meet with guests to discuss content for the show... I explained that we don't want to sweep any challenging things or less than desirable situations or concerns under the rug. We, we do address those challenges, but we want to be sure to focus more on the positive things that people are doing to offset those challenges. And then we like to share how you, the listener, might be able to do the same. My first guest today is Diane De Los Santos, Executive Director of City on a Hill a local nonprofit organization whose vision is to break the cycle of generational poverty and bring transformation to central city neighborhoods. Welcome to the show today, Diane. Thank you very much, Jill. It's a delight to be here. And we're very grateful to Ellen Becker Investment Group for making this opportunity available. Well, you're certainly welcome. So City on a Hill has an interesting story. Tell us how it got its start and how you became involved.
2: All right. Well, City on a Hill got its start when a hospital became vacant and was looking for a new purpose. And I'll share a little more of that, but maybe first just to give you a little of how I got involved. Um, I was an Aurora executive at the point in time that City on a Hill was getting its start. I'd been with Aurora for 20 years and was their vice president of public affairs and marketing, but I didn't take a straight path to that role. And so I um, began my adult life uh, as a young woman in a rough marriage and very quickly became a single mom. And so I um, know a little bit about what some of the families in our central city are facing, certainly nowhere near the depth of pain and struggle that they have, but I learned a little bit about what it was to juggle a couple of part-time minimum wage jobs, to uh, struggle to put food on the table, to worry about latchkey kids, uh, to be concerned as I saw the impact of my children growing up without a father in the home. So some of those things that are uh, problematic in our central city were a part of my life for a period of time. Okay. Um, and then if you if you fast forward 20 years uh, to 2003, uh, that's when I got involved at City on a Hill. Uh, the organization had started a couple of years earlier after they borrowed um, the parking lot of Good Samaritan Hospital, which was vacant by then for a big outreach in the neighborhood that 8,000 people showed up for. Wow. Um, And uh, I had... uh, you know, been involved in the transfer of the property to this new grassroots nonprofit organization uh, in 2000, the very end of 2000. Um, but they had struggled for a couple of years and had asked me, you know, would you consider being our administrator, being our executive director at the beginning? And I said, there's no way. <laughs> I don't know anything about this work. I'm a middle class or middle-aged, you know, white suburban woman. Um, I do public relations for a living for a hospital system. I don't know anything about urban development or uh, s- transforming the lives of the poor. There's, You can surely find someone better than me.
1: Well, they knew something, <laughs> right? They knew that you'd
2: be good for that role. Well, a couple of years later then in 2003, what happened was that I was just feeling a little unsettled, at Aurora I think that God sometimes upsets our nest a little bit when he's ready to move us on to a new assignment. And of course as a public relations executive I needed to read the news media every morning and so I'm reading we still had physical papers at that point in time. I'm reading, you know, the the uh, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and seeing house fires that are killing children and stray gunfire and the you know the violence in the streets and just the the trouble in Milwaukee. And I'm reading that early in the morning. And because I'm a woman of faith, I'm also having a devotional time early in the morning. And I began to have difficulty reconciling the Mm -hmm. two. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting in a beautiful condo in Greenfield, watching this happen in Milwaukee just moments away. And I just felt like I couldn't continue to do nothing when I was in a position where I could do at least something. So I... um, uh, recanted my rejection of the position and and uh, told them if they still wanted me, I was willing. And they had a vacancy at that time, and I, I joined as the executive director. Um, and so that was the beginning of City on a Hill, an old vacant hospital looking for a new use, um, a new grassroots organization looking for a, a, a beachhead in that neighborhood, a place that would be We would clearly send the message, we're here. We're not doing drive-by charity. We own this big property. We're not going anywhere. Um, And so that was
1: the beginning of City on a Hill. So you have this huge, empty property in a troubled neighborhood, right? Yes. Where did you start? Well,
2: we started uh, um, just very humbly asking questions. And so we would go door to door in the neighborhood. My thought was um, the people in this neighborhood are poor but they are not ignorant of the problems. They know the problems better than I certainly do because they live them day in and day out. And so we just went door to door. We said, hey, we're new in your neighborhood. We want to be a blessing here. We want to come alongside you and make things better. What should we do? Mm. And you know, the people knew what they needed. And one of the first things they said to us is there's no place safe for our kids to play and to go after school for help. And so that was one of the first things that we did was to begin to operate programs for young people. We also heard from the homeless and the organizations serving the extremely poor in our city that the health disparities were a problem, and there was no there was there were little uh, opportunities for health care access period for that group of people, but certainly there were none for preventive health care. Mm-hmm. And so fortunately, we had a group of nurses and doctors and other volunteers that were eager to provide just those services. Mm, And so we began a health outreach early on. Mm. And so those were some of the ways
1: that we began. You ask and and you will receive, right? So fast forward to 2020 then, Diane. What's what's happened since those early years and how do you define your mission today? Well, I would uh, describe it as holistic
2: and neighborhood-centric. So it's place-based. We're not necessarily trying to serve the entire city, although some of our programs do draw people from throughout the central city today. But we began just focusing on a few blocks right around City on a Hill. And then we would go out in concentric circles a little larger as we had capacity. But we were really focused on our neighborhood and making it a better place to live. And in order to do that, we knew that we could not offer one service to people. We couldn't just offer healthcare and then not address their food insecurities. We couldn't just do uh, an academic program after school and ignore the children's emotional needs. So the programs had to be holistic if we were gonna change lives, not just offer services. And so uh, we eventually settled in three areas. One was that we wanted to alleviate the symptoms of poverty among the people in our neighborhood who were extremely poor. And so that meant health services and nutrition and hygiene items and a place for some some prayer and counsel, legal services. And so we collaborated with lots of other organizations in the city to make our, our location a place where people could come for all of those things. Um, the second thing that we did that we really view as the core of our mission is to help young people to equip them to break the cycle of generational poverty, because if they're equipped with the right skills, the right experiences, the right support system, they can break that cycle. We've seen it over and over and over again. And then lastly, we uh, wanted to also engage the wider community, both in learning about issues of generational poverty and injustice and doing something about them as volunteers, so that as we Alleviated symptoms among adults in our neighborhood. As we equipped young people to go out into society, it would be a more welcoming place. Mm-hmm. It would be a place where they wouldn't face ignorance or injustice in the wider community because people simply didn't understand their background and their situations.
1: Yeah, wow, how wonderful. Nice uh, offerings that you have there. Um, you know, City on a Hill's mission, it could seem a bit daunting, right, given the challenges in the neighborhood that you serve, but stay tuned to find out more of some of the specific things that they're doing to accomplish their mission. We'll be right back after commercial break.
0: Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN.
1: Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm talking today with Diane De Los Santos, Executive Director of City on a Hill. So Diane give us an idea of some of the things you're doing to accomplish your mission and your vision at City on a Hill.
2: Yes, uh, I'll begin with the basic needs that that we meet uh, for our neighbors and most of those fall under what we call a health outreach and a free health clinic. So our health outreach is held the first Uh, second Saturday, rather, of each month, Uh, and it's wide open to the public, and we serve people primarily from our zip code, but also from zip codes throughout the central city where people are lacking access to health care, to nutrition services even something as simple as a hygiene kit. Um, if you're homeless, you're not buying a gallon of shampoo at Walmart. You need small amounts of supplies to take care of yourself as you look for a place to live. And so uh, we provide health services of all kinds, screening programs ranging from diabetes to, to cancer, um, providing the services of doctors and nurse practitioners who volunteer their time to provide primary care for people, and uh, a hot meal, a bag of groceries, just all kinds of um, things that people need in order to make their, meet their basic needs. And yet, as I mentioned, we know that um, that will not solve the problem of poverty in Milwaukee. Um, Those services we're providing primarily to middle-aged and older adults um, who are not affecting the next generation as much as young people. Um, and so the the core of our work is to equip youth to break the cycle of generational poverty. And so we start with children who are six, eight years old, and, um, and on up through the teen years until they're ready to go off to college. We have an after-school center where children come just on their own, or they may be enrolled by parents. And in that center, we have everything from literacy programs and, and homework help, to evidence-based programs that have been tested nationally and proven to reduce behavioral risks in teenagers who already are on a path to harm. And so what we see is that when we bring the right kind of programming to young people that engages them, and we bring a, a network of caring adults around them that they can turn to for support when they need something more than they might be getting at home because mom or dad are working two jobs or are not in the home, When you do those things, young people can make dramatic and rapid turnarounds, and then their lives are on a path to success. Mm -hmm. And so we work with them all the way through their high school years, ensuring that they're succeeding in school, that they're not truant, that they're doing well uh, in their classes, that they're applying for colleges and getting help with essays and applying for scholarships. And we have a summer youth employment program where they can learn everything from financial literacy to how to get along in a workplace. And uh, so all of that really equips them after they walk in our door as young children just looking for something to do after school to walk out that door at 18, 19 years old prepared for life, Mm. at least for the next step in life in secondary education and and finding a path to successful life as an adult. Um, And then the third thing that we do and some of our programs fall in this area is that we try to engage the wider community the people that you mentioned in the suburbs who are looking at what's happening in the city, wondering if there's something they can do to help, not understanding the problems. And so we do training programs and we provide service and volunteer opportunities. And our training programs range everything, everywhere from an urban plunge where you can come and stay overnight at City on a Hill. We have dormitory housing, and you can sort of immerse yourself in what's happening there, and we teach you some things, and we get you involved behind the scenes. And if you're interested directly in service to our neighbors, um, we have a six-day mission trip where youth groups from schools or churches can come and spend six days and get all kinds of experience. We have something called Passport to Compassion, that we can take to a church or, or an organization where we teach you about poverty in ways that are very hands-on and interactive. You do simulations where you're confronted with a lack of housing or a lack of health care, a lack of food, and how will you respond. So it's, in a sense, fun and, in another sense, very compelling and very sobering to learn about poverty in that way. Um, and then we have service groups from companies and schools and churches, and universities who come, just a group of people to work and volunteer in a program uh, with us, maybe during the week or on a weekend. Sometimes retired men come and work in that large facility and help us with plumbing and electrical and painting um, And then individual people can just look us up on on our website and volunteer and come for a day or a few hours and volunteer. Sometimes people will organize uh, uh, efforts to um, collect uh, in-kind goods, whether it's school supplies or food that we need. So there's just all kinds of ways that we can engage people in being part of the solution instead of being silent and passive where I'd say we're almost part of the problem. Mm. That's how I felt uh, when I was ending my career at Aurora. If I'm not part of the solution and I have the resources and the gifts to be a part of the solution, then maybe I'm part of the problem. And so um, we equip people to get involved, just roll up their sleeves and, and, and connect with our neighbors. And f- and learn that they have so much in common. Their humanity is in common, even though their economic circumstances are different.
1: Right, and I think that compassion piece is so important. I mean, if you have never experienced, uh, if you've never walked in the shoes of somebody else, it's kind of hard to understand. Until you actually immerse yourself in it, you know. Yes. So you you are engaging with the community in in areas that are making a difference uh, with your community center and your summer youth employment program. So that's that's great. And you said you have uh, an amazing number of volunteers each year, about fifteen hundred annually, right? Yes. Um, do you have like a website or something that people can go to if if they want to find out ways that they can? get involved and support your mission? Yes, absolutely. They just go to cityonahillmilwaukee.org and I think the uh, the um, spot on our home page is get involved. Okay, well that sounds easy. Yes. Um, I mentioned in the opening that Milwaukee is one of the most dangerous big cities in the U.S. I'm curious, do you ever feel like you or any of your volunteers are in harm's way? No, I
2: really don't. Um, I left out of my story the fact that after a couple of years, I began to sense that I really couldn't solve a problem that I didn't understand well, and I couldn't really understand it well enough from a distance, so I stopped commuting from Greenfield, and I moved into the vacant hospital, and I lived there for seven years. Okay. And... um, I did not feel unsafe. You know, you want to use wisdom. One time I drove home late, late at night, and there was a gentleman standing uh, uh, on the driveway in the spot that I would usually park. So I just drove around a while until he moved on to wherever he was headed. Um, But the the violence that we see in the city, unfortunately, is often um, among and between the people who are struggling to live there. Um, And... I have never felt unsafe there myself. I've been welcomed when I would go for walks in the neighborhood. People would say, "Hey, Miss City on a Hill, how you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, and our volunteers and, and kids who come for mission trips, we're
1: we're all safe there. Wonderful, wonderful. We well, never want that to be a barrier, right? Yes. Um, what would you say is your biggest challenge then or hurdle?
2: Well, to be honest, our bigger biggest challenge is financial. And so we have, over the course of these past 20 years, we've found methodologies that work, we've formed partnerships that empower us, we've um, transformed the lives of so many children and families, and yet it's like we have a cap on ourselves uh, based on the amount of, of funds that I, that we can raise every year. And so um, I, our goal, Our goal and our challenge now is to scale what we are doing, to take what we are doing, and to be able to bring it to a much larger scale so that we can have a stronger impact on our neighborhood and the surrounding neighborhoods in the city because we know now what works, and we just so want to equip and empower more children and families in our city to have the kind of lives you described at the beginning that yeah. are happy, that are fulfilling, that are secure. Yes. You know, they're at the basic level of just needing lives that are secure. Yeah. Um, and uh, we, working together can, can with our neighbors, can make that happen for them.
1: Mm. Well, you've had a lot of very interesting, uh, thought-provoking things to share with us today. Do you have any final words you want to leave with our audience, Diane? simply that
2: the the problem of poverty is complex, there is not a silver bullet to solve this problem. It's anchored in history it's it's impacted by injustice um, it's a cycle that families get trapped in, and it's very hard to get out of so it's a complex problem. but if you use holistic services rather than try to just aim one at one small component of the source of the poverty if you if you develop holistic services and you work within a neighborhood tenaciously until you reach people and you share the programs with them and you build the relationships and the trust with them once you do
1: that the sky's the limit and you can really see change occur mm, wonderful well if somebody's listening out there wants to be a part of the wonderful mission of City on a Hill, how would they get in touch with you or uh, find out more about the organization? Well, they can simply um, check us out on our website, and that address,
2: again, is cityonahillmilwaukee.org. And then also uh, we have a Facebook account, so it's just um, City on a Hill, capital M, capital K, capital E, M-K-E. City on a Hill, M-K-E mm-hmm. is our
1: Facebook Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you, Diane, for joining us today. Thank you for all you do to uh, help in the uh, inner city neighborhoods. I'm sure you're a blessing to many. Thank you for being here today.
2: Thank you so much, Jill, for giving us some more visibility.
1: (laughs) You are welcome. In the words of Helen Keller, alone we can do so little, but together we can do so much. Stay tuned to hear how a local organization provides a unique collaborative approach to strengthening the lives of Milwaukee's urban families. Learn more when we return.
0: You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN.
1: Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo. Working together with others who are focused on the same goal can have very rewarding and produce wonderful positive results. As Helen Keller said, together we can do so much. My next guest is Renee Logie, Executive Director of the United Neighborhood Centers of Milwaukee, or UNCOM, whose mission is to strengthen city neighborhoods by partnering with our member organizations to improve the quality of life for urban families. Welcome to the show today, Renee. Thank you, Jill. Thank you for having me, and I also want to thank um, the Ellen Becker Investment Group. Well, you it's a are welcome. Pleasure to be here. You're welcome, and we're had, uh, glad to have you here. And actually, Diane is going to stick around because she's the board of directors of, with Uncom, and so she's going to lend her voice to some uh, things that we're going to be discussing today. But um, Renee, what? What? Let's start out by having you tell us your why. You know, what brought you to Uncom? Sure, sure.
3: I'm a um, longtime resident of Milwaukee, and I've worked in Milwaukee's nonprofit community for over 20 years. I've been at um, United Neighborhood Centers of Milwaukee now for just about seven months, um, and my experience here just uh, cements what I already know, and that is that the people of Milwaukee are truly some of the kindest and hardest-working people that I've seen um, around the country. I'm deeply passionate about our community. Um, oftentimes, Milwaukee is featured in headlines for less favorable reasons. Milwaukee has one of the um, is the most segregated city in the nation. We are unfortunately the achievement gaps mm-hmm. um, that occur in our public school system are um, high incarceration rates amongst um, Black males, and I want to be on a team. That discusses and puts action to how we can overcome some of these obstacles, and I know we can. Right, and be part of the solution, like Diane talked solution. about, right, exactly. instead of part of the
1: problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: I, I see it every day, and I'm proud to be associated with the United Neighborhood Centers of Milwaukee because they really, truly are working to
1: make Milwaukee's neighborhood stronger. Hmm, Wonderful. So UNCOM is an organization that partners with other organizations for solutions to community needs. So tell us what some of those Milwaukee agencies are that are part of the UNCOM collaborative.
3: Sure. Well, you've um, just heard from Diane De Los Santos from City on a Hill, and that is one of our um, centers in our collaborative. Also, uh, COA Youth and Family Centers, Journey House, Milwaukee Christian Center, Neighborhood House of Milwaukee, New Life Community Development, Northcott Community Development, Silver Spring Neighborhood Center, and we also have an associate member in Running Rebels. And if you were to pinpoint all of these um, organizations on a map in the city of Milwaukee, you'd see that they are placed all throughout the city. Mm, and from great, the north to the south side. Okay, Sides. great
1: organizations. Actually, we've interviewed three of them that, that you've listed. Great. In addition to you guys today, so you ladies today, I should say. So um, to, together, the UNCOM agencies serve over, what, like 50,000 people every year, right? Um, tell us some of the ways that UNCOM has a positive impact in the city. Sure. So um,
3: we do serve an incredible amount of people every year, as you just uh, mentioned, over 50,000 people. And these people are in not only every zip code in the city, but also every zip code in Milwaukee County, interestingly enough. Um, each of these agencies I mentioned above are their own 501c3 nonprofit organization. They have their own governing board. They have their own, govern- um, own, their own staff and actually, our governing board is made up from the executive directors at each of these oh, okay. Um, agencies. Okay, yeah. so that's how Diane's involved. That okay. is how Diane is involved, and we're very lucky to have her um, experience and expertise. Uh, in addition, the Uncome Home Office, if you will, uh, was awarded a contra- contract um, for 12 years now, actually, from Employee Milwaukee, and it's an employment program, an employment program, that serves youth ages 16 to 24 that are out of school. And that may mean that they've dropped out of school or they've finished, um, which is most often uh, in the population that utilizes this program, or perhaps they've graduated but don't really have the support and to know what comes next. And this program um, helps them complete their second ed- secondary education if need be, so the GED or HSED. And also um, trains them, helps them find a career path for themselves, gives them the licenses and the credentials in order to do so, though, so they can leave, live, excuse me, independent, productive um, lives. And we're very proud of this program. And um, these youth that participate in this program are recruited from all over the city, including from the uncom agencies. Uh, and I'd say we uh, serve, we work with the prosec. Approximately about 150
1: youth a year. Mm. And uh, wouldn't it be interesting to hear from some of those youth about the impact that you've made in their lives? You know, we talk about the impact UNCOM has made in the city, but when you when you put a story behind it, right? I mean, it really is quite uh, impactful.
3: If If I may tell a quick story, um, one of the youth that has benefited from this benefited from this program happens to be a friend of mine uh, that we've been. Pr- uh, friends, over seven months, so before I came to Uncome. And uh, just this weekend, he asked me how work was going. I asked him how his work was going. And he said, you know, Renee, Jaime, I'll give a shout-out to Jaime Gonzalez, one of our youth workers, he saved my life. Mm. I was um, down a path, and I don't know if I would be alive today mm. if it weren't for him intervening and believing in me and putting me on a path to success
1: mm, that's so wonderful those are the stories you want to want to hear again the positive side of what could have been an unfortunate situation absolutely wow. well we know Helen Keller was all about working together uh, as we stated in her quote earlier Mother Teresa is also a big advocate saying none of us including me ever do great things but we can all do small things with great love and together we can do something wonderful I just love that one Stay tuned to hear how the Uncom agencies are accomplishing more together than they could on their own. We'll be right back.
0: Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Julie Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN.
1: Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach. And I'm talking today with Renee Logie, Executive Director of the United Neighborhood Centers of Milwaukee, or UNCOM, and Diane De La Santos from the City on a Hill organization. So I understand that there are four main ways that UNCOM works together with other organizations to provide learning opportunities, uh, best practices, data analysis, and other value-added ways to achieve large-scale impact. So, Renee, why don't you start by breaking those out? What's What's the first way? Sure. Um, first, I'll,
3: as you just stated, um, the agencies do work together to identify, develop, and replicate um, individual best practices. So each agency um, in the collaborative creates and executes its own programs and services for their unique neighborhoods that they serve. On a monthly basis or really sometimes even daily or even weekly basis, people within these organizations are sharing with each other best practices, networking with one another to increase the level of service and impact on the member agencies and the communities that they are serving. It's actually um, a pretty rare collaboration the United Neighborhood Centers of Milwaukee. I've talked with a number of other collaborations across the nation and I've realized and in my short time here at UNCOM how great our
1: collaborative actually is and how unique it is. To, um, to the country. You would think that people would really enjoy that collaborative approach, because not one can do it all, right? And so everybody's got their lane, their area of expertise, and why not come together to offer the best possible service you can to whatever group of people you're serving? I mean, that to me just seems like a no-brainer, but.
3: Absolutely. And City on a Hill is one of our um, agencies that is doing some great work in, the, um, in our neighborhoods. And Diane, would you like to tell us a little bit more? Sure. About that?
2: Sure. And I'll echo what you just said, Jill. Sometimes it can be a lonely life to be an executive director. <laughs> and it's nice to have, you know, seven other uh, I- executive directors that you can pick up the phone and call and just say, hey, I'm struggling with this. What yeah. did you do about it? Yeah. So, um, the best practice area, you know, there's um, so many different things we could talk about. You know, there are. Um, uh, Four of our eight agencies have early childhood programs that they've developed over the years and learned from each other that are offering safe, developmentally appropriate care for children starting at six weeks of age. So that's something that is a best practice sort of um, expansion throughout the collaborative. Um, And then there are things that are unique to the agencies that we're we're still sharing with each other. And a couple of examples of those uh, would be COA Youth and Family Centers has a hippie program. It's called <laughs> Hippie. <laughs> um, home instruction for parents of preschool youngsters. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought maybe they and were playing some
1: seventies old. Games right, or right. That's <laughs> what
2: it sounds like. But they engage parents of two, three, four, and five year olds. Okay. And they provide a curriculum for each day of the week, thirty weeks of the year. And so it gets parents engaged in educating their own children. They are the best teachers. Neighborhood House, uh, in a very different way, has a unique best practice. They're a place where refugees and immigrants from over two dozen countries Mm. come to an international learning center so they can learn English and life skills uh, to adapt to their new home in America. Um, And then City on a Hill Um, in addition to the programs that we have for the neighborhood, you know that we try to engage the wider community. And one of the things we do that's a unique best practice is we offer a program called Removing Racial Residue. Kind of a long uh, title, but it's explains exactly what we're doing. We developed it back in 2007 when we had groups coming uh, of young people um, from rural Wisconsin or other states who didn't know Milwaukee and had maybe never worked cross-culturally. And so it was a training program for them that we've since adapted. We've now trained thousands of people in Milwaukee, uh, offering it in nonprofits and companies and churches. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a best practice in the sense that it's based on decades of research about what really works to break down racial barriers. Mm. So those are just some of the examples of our agency's best practices that we share with one another uh, so that we can all grow stronger and make our neighborhood stronger.
1: And that's a lot of impact, right? A whole heck of a lot of impact. What's another way Uncom adds value in the city of Milwaukee through this collaborative approach?
3: Sure. Um, The uh, second way is that United Neighborhood Centers of Milwaukee. um, All of its members use the same database where we collect and analyze the data. There we can we can measure the impact that we are having in the community. Uh, Obviously, keeping this data centralized aids us um, in when we're working with the to judge what programs are effective, which programs are less effective. Uh, We have the um, measurable measurable effects of these programs we can see uh, through studying that data obviously is also something that our funders and our foundations individuals are looking at as well when they're um, determining if uh, they can offer their financial
1: support to us. Okay and then you also convene groups from within your member agencies and outside of them. Tell us about that
3: sure we um, provide thought leadership and convenings to increase uh, the visibility and understanding of our place place-based models of service so one common goal is to work to uh, is that we're working together to make Milwaukee's neighborhood stronger that's our mission so periodically we convene um, nonprofit leaders both within our organizations and outside and along with our staff to um, have seminars, symposiums across the city. And there we can learn about um, what impacts. We can share practices and uh, talk about what impact we are having on the lives of individuals, families, and whole neighborhoods. We also have uh, youth and development affinity groups. The participants in these groups are staff members from all of the organizations. They can network with one another. They can talk about what, again, what's working, what's not, uh, share uh, different approaches to the, uh, to the population that they're serving. Even though we are in different neighborhoods, we are in different geographic areas in the city, our problems and our, not our problems, our strengths and struggles, I would say, um, of the people we are serving are very similar.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we all know how important funding is, right, for nonprofits (laughs) to achieve their goals. Tell us about your fourth way of adding value.
3: Sure. Uh, I would say that we, um, as a collaborative, we uh, look at collaborative funding sources. Bader Philanthropies has been um, very generous to us. The Zilber Family Foundation has been very generous to all of us and have seen the value in um, in our collaboration, the United Neighborhood Centers of Milwaukee. We have used that support to uh, do certain events like our Walk for Wellness where an event where we get all our families together and a show of unity and just uh, celebrate all of our successes in the city. Um, We we are also coming to the table and uh, with the social injustice issues that many people are talking about now but really have been here for decades, centuries and we are uh, working together to make some of the uh, work in our at our different organizations known to the larger community. I'm talking with people outside of our regular funding sources to let them know what is happening, what they can consider doing to help us out at a times like this. We, mm-hmm. we kind of adopted this uh, phrase, United for Justice and Peace, actually, um, as a collaborative for during
1: these times. Okay. Well... How have you both been impacted by uh, the COVID crisis?
2: Well, I guess I can begin. Um, At City on a Hill, uh, we have pivoted quickly. Uh, we have a creative staff, and so they uh, very quickly began offering the programs uh, for youth. Uh, they took made something called Youth Center in a Box, where they would deliver to a family's home each month a box of things that they could use together, working as a family and working on social media with our staff. Um, to do everything from academic work to games to just pass the time as a family. And uh, we took a program we call Sunday Dinner mobily and started delivering uh, hygiene products and hot meals across the city. And uh, finally, our... Our health programs uh, we um, continue to keep our clinic open uh, but our health outreach we have shifted to a walk-up or drive up kind of a model so just very quickly shifting to make sure we could still serve people okay
3: yeah I would add um, that all of our centers are open open and serving our communities uh, we may be serving them in different ways but the need has not gone away in fact the need has only gotten stronger Actually, during this um, pandemic, okay. uh, we're just getting creative in how we can uh, how we can help
1: our neighborhoods, right? Aren't we all? Right? We're learning new uh, yes. new ways to do things. So, if somebody wants to get involved uh, or help out, how can they contact the Uncom?
3: Sure, um, I would direct them to our website, which is uncom milworg So, Uncom-milw. Dot org. Um, and, you know, there's lots of things that you can do to help if you have an affinity for this cause. Uh, you can volunteer at an uncom agency. You can lend your expertise to a committee, join a board of directors. And, of course, all of our agencies provide um, some sort of f- food service to, um, to the neighborhoods that they serve. Uh, of course, we would love to have donations. We
1: would accept donations to help. Um, so we can supply food to our families. Absolutely. Well, lots lots to think about and digest. Uh, we never have enough time to get to everything, but at least we plant that mustard seed, as we say, so people can uh, can uh, be interested if this is your area that you would like to serve in. As Renee said, then you can reach out to either organization. Thank you both for sharing all you do to help the underserved communities in our neighborhood. Thank you for being here today.
3: Thank you for having us. You're yeah. yes, welcome. Thank
1: you. If you'd like further information about what we talked about today or if you'd like to be considered as a guest on the show, you can email me at jill at ellenbecker.com or you can call our office at 262-691-3200. Join us next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. to learn more about the ways people and organizations are contributing to making our community safe and healthy. You can tune in to News Talk 1130 on your radio or you can go to newstalk1130.com on your computer or you can listen on your cell phone via the iHeartRadio app. Visit our website at ellenbecker.com to listen to previously aired shows or listen on demand at Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Apple Podcast. So think about how you can help a neighbor in some way and contribute to making strong and safe neighborhoods. A neighbor may not just be someone in your immediate neighborhood. It may be someone in a nearby community or miles away. Let's all reach out. Let's practice patience. Let's spread joy and seek unity and peace. Find a way to be a blessing and give a blessing. Have a great day.